Namaste, motherfuckers, and welcome to Tantric Conversation, episode number 79, Ryan Waste. My name is Curtis Payne, and this is my podcast. Um, yeah, rambling, nonsensical, not unresearched conversations with people in the Richmond area of varying degrees of notoriety. I don't guess they're so nonsensical, but they are rambling. Um, so Ryan is a member of Municipal Waste and Vulture and Bat, and he has his own YouTube channel and his YouTube show, Living Fast, which since this podcast I have watched, I watched the episode where he interviews uh, one of the dudes from Raven. I was racking my brain and remember much about Raven. I only listened to one of their records, Stay Hard during a period in the 80s where I pretty much listened to any metal record I could get my hands on, like between, I guess, 84 and 87 or 88. I was a pretty big metalhead. I went to see every band that uh, played the Coliseum. Anybody with uh, anybody any kind of leanings towards metal, I went to see them. I really liked some of them, like Rat and Dokken and shit like that and um yeah so i was into that then and then uh kind of gradually leaned more into the to the slayer and the metallica and then leaned even further away from that into grunge and all that shit and industrial and i listen i still liked heavy stuff but i guess i i totally just became like kind of a stoner metal guy like i got into caius and all that stuff, sleep, and I hate God, and I mean, people call that different shit, doom, whatever. But I got really into that tuned down stuff. I kind of lost the taste buds for that tinnier metal guitar, that what like a Gibson Explorer Flying V kind of sound. I started like Les Pauls, you know, tuned down to C. I think it all started with the Melvins. Just kind of went in that direction. But I still, still got some of that old 80s metal and. 70s metal on playlists on my on my phone listen to it when I'm at the gym and all that which is when I listen to most stuff like that what is kind of talking to Ryan was just kind of taking me back to when I got turned on to that stuff I mentioned my friend Jason who was a guitar player in, in high school and I first time I ever found out he played guitar I didn't expect to hear anything that really sounded like anything and he played me Eruption at Eddie Van Halen guitar solo over the phone I was like, oh, this guy can actually play. I'm going to go over to his house, and he'd be playing along the Scorpions records and all this other stuff. And he, So I really got into metal with him, and it was a, a thing. You know, hanging out with him and, and uh, a couple other guys, we all would wear our New Jersey tuxedos down to the Richmond Coliseum, or we'd drive around in this guy's Jeep, blasting that shit. And it was, you know, it was one of the last things I think I did that I knew damn well that girls weren't into, and I did it anyway. Because probably over the next two or three years, it pretty much, you know, kind of almost exclusively became about what girls were into. But uh, it was metal was something I, you know, I never got into the culture. I never really like, I never went to any major extremes. I shit, I barely even bought T-shirts, you know. And, and my best friend and I usually actually kind of made fun of the, um, the various iterations, you know, of of metal guys, metal archetypes called them all riffs which was like short for riff raff and there was a magic riff 
that's Dio. So you know, and then you got a uh, Bruce Dickinson riff. That's anybody with stringy straight hair and spiky armbands. Um, I can't remember all the various other kinds of riffs. Motorcycle riff, yeah, that uh, would be kind of like Lemmy, I guess. There was a wide variety of them. It was kind of funny. So we we loved metal and we're really into the music, but we're kind of above the culture somehow. And and uh, we generally like after the first show at the Coliseum, kind of sat back up in the bleachers away from it and kind of afraid to fully participate. But I would go. I mean, we'd go around with that shit in my headphones all the time and just have a paper route in Richmond in Churchill and be like going around with a boombox. I had a friend, I had a friend in a wheelchair would go with me on my route and he would carry a boombox in his lap and we'd be blasting fucking Motley Crue and shit like that all over the neighborhood. But uh, anyway, so I don't know. I got that in common with Ryan on some level. He said, you know, he's much more committed to a you know, specific kind of uh, metal. But that doesn't really matter because, you know, we I get people on this show to find out about, you know, who they are behind their image and all of that and uh it was really cool talking to him and we had we had a good time made a made a new friend and uh i encourage you to check out his show living fast um what i saw of it it's it's pretty cool it's uh you know like a great almost should have been like you know a show on mtv or something like that you know just uh low budget but but cool real deal so uh having said that uh let's get on into hey and I usually talk about making donations at the end of the podcast. Would you carry your asses over to my donate page at some point and kick in some ducats or something? All right, let's get into it. So I'm just gonna I'm I'm rolling now. So how long have you been in Richmond anyway? I don't been here since '98. So what's that? 18 years. 18 years. Where'd yeah. you come from? Virginia Where? Beach. Oh yeah. Yeah, did you got the hell here? out of town. Yeah, did you just come here to get away from Virginia Beach, or you? Come I came here? here mainly for music, but secretly I I was going to VCU, but I really didn't even want to go. Uh huh. I was in uh, social work. I wanted to get into sociology, and I just really wanted to get the hell out of Virginia Beach, man. Music was my main thing. I played with someone, could never get a band together. I played with a guy who became a heroin addict, and mm-hmm. that just went down the tubes. You know, and I, I'm sitting there watching him shoot up. He was a killer drummer, and he went to right. jail. And it was just me and him playing music. And I always heard that Richmond was like a mecca for just you know art and music. And mm-hmm. just Virginia Beach, everyone just wanted to fight. I went to shows, and it was just like a fight every night. That's weird. That um, I mean, for me as a person who grew up in Richmond, um, we're always looking at those bigger cities as the mecca. You know, but if you're from Danville or you're from Virginia Beach, then Richmond or, is the one. That's the place, yeah. But it is so much more the place um, since lately, like in the last ten years, than it's hip than, now. Yeah, and there's just I can't believe how many bands there are, and I think you guys are part of the reason that people. Well, it's are all looking it's kind of incestual. It's all a lot of the same people, you know. Mm-hmm. Cause there's and it's not a huge population, but we, there's a lot of output. Yeah. Well, so. Municipal was municipal waste the first band that you did. Yeah, you got here? that's the first band I started on my own. I came up here and joined a band called the Flesh Eating Creeps. You might uh-huh. remember them. They went through about the nine name, bass. Like... Pl- they went through about nine bass players. I was like bass player number seven. Yeah, I actually overheard um, my friend Brendan talking about needing a bass player at a party, and I just kind of accosted him and was like, "Hey, man, I play bass," and I was like, you know, 18 years old at the time. And he's actually the first drummer of Municipal Waste. We turned it around. He was a guitar player playing drums. I was a bass player just playing guitar. 
not really knowing, just kind of self-taught on guitar. Mm-hmm. And uh, I started the waste with him like around 2000. But yeah, I mean, it's it was a wild time. 2000 I, is when that started. I yeah, it was, it was a wild time in Richmond. Yeah, and I like I, I like uh, municipal waste, but unfortunately, I, you guys came along at a point where I wasn't l- thrashing that much. And uh, well, no one was thrashing that much. That's why we started it. Yeah, you needed somebody to be doing that. Someone had to do it. <laughs> and um, obviously, so besides the obvious stuff like Slayer and old Metallica and all of that, what was uh, what like, were you listening? Like to? at the at that time, a lot of Accused, mm-hmm. a lot of uh, Razor. Mm-hmm. from canada uh this band hallow's eve like southern from atlanta um d- definitely everyone will compare it to dri nuclear assault that's you know that's definitely in the back of the brain did with D- slayer did dri kind of walk the line between hardcore and yeah yeah and we did too i mean tony came from hardcore you know I, keep talking we, i'm losing this mount here that's so fine man yeah I think uh, any good uh, speed metal, people got to have a hardcore background because they don't realize, well, some people don't realize that's all coming from the same place. So I think that aggression needs to be there. If you're in, I I, I, I actually appreciate people that are punks that listen to metal and metalheads that listen to punk. I think is, you know, is, mm-hmm. there might have been a divide more in the 80s, but we try to bring a little bit from both. Yeah, and it seems like the big divide is is really that like and i'd say this for myself i mean metal had the same aggression but it was not as smart like i was in it was nerdier like and i you know and it was smart but it was smart you come from the, more of a like a hardcore background yourself no i come from more of the, the metal yeah like i wasn't listening to hardcore at all because i was actually honestly and i don't usually say this now but i was kind of scared of that scene when i was like because i kind of was a, a nerdier kind of kid so i liked stuff that you could get together with your nerd friends and mm-hmm. be into and i and the going to the hardcore shows where it seemed like everybody was trying to it was more dangerous back right. in the day yeah, yeah. and, and growing up in like... norfolk i would see that i was like the only long-haired guy at the hardcore shows in norfolk when i was coming up drinking a 40 mind you 15 years old it right. probably could have got the whole place shut down <laughs> it's like a, a huge straight edge crowd they're fighting for some reason no one ever fucked with me i don't right. know Right, uh, maybe <laughs> I don't know. Well, and I don't think people fuck with people in general, like. But there was at one point, and I think like I, I read this biography of Lester Bangs, you know, that that rock writer that uh, he was kind of around, like writing about rock when when punk came around, and he was kind of sort of walking the line between like sort of the classic kind of rock stuff and then getting into, you know, he liked Lou Reed and the and Iggy Pop and all that stuff, but he like went to see Minor Threat somewhere. And he was like, "What's up with all these muscle heads?" You know, and that's where the flex your head thing like yeah. comes from. It, it'll, you know? it'll change you, man. Because I grew up listening to, to heavy metal with my brother, the basics like Priest, Sabbath, and mm-hmm. you know, got into the harder stuff like Slayer and stuff later. But you know, going to these hardcore shows when I was like 14, 15, seeing that other world, seeing that people are putting on DIY shows, mm-hmm. you know, and you you look at music as like a concert type thing, and then you go to a show we used to go to this place 25th and Llewellyn in Norfolk because Virginia Beach didn't really have good shows you had to go right. to Norfolk and the inner city and it was you know it's kind of dangerous place but you know just to see the right show it was mm-hmm. worth it and um there's a place like a bookshelf turned around it was like a secret venue oh wow that was the coolest thing like, man. A, like a hidden door yeah it really there really was and uh see these guys putting on shows straight edge shows and stuff and it was it was a whole different world mm-hmm. and i was like man this is aggressive music i just want to get drunk to it yeah so what is where is that like i mean you obviously like some aspect of the 
I mean, I consider the nerdier metal thing, like the way Maiden writes about fucking. I like fantasy. I like I like creating your own mythology. I think, um, you know, I do a band called Vulture and I do a band called Bat, and we kind of make up our own mythology. Right. One's an electric bird that shocks its victims, and (laughs) and the Bat's probably the. Can't believe no one ever grabbed that name. You know, (laughs) I'm the first band that's called Bat, and that's pretty insane to me. Um, yeah, I like. We don't really. Even Waste doesn't even really touch on politics besides, you know, making Donald Trump blow his head off in that mm-hmm, shirt mm-hmm. we just did. Right. Everyone's going crazy about. But it's really just like, yeah, kill him, you know? Right. That's that's it's Waste like, them all. Yeah, exactly. So keep it simple. And <laughs> we create our own mythology with that as well. You know, it's I'm sick of listening to people preach when yeah. we're coming out. It's like, let's have fun. Create your own world. That's what right. we did. So and then in there is an um an aggression uh the aggression part of it like my experience with the aggression part of it is like just trying to do something with what we all got built into us you know a it's certain a, amount it's of it's a positive outlet yeah yeah and, and that's what music is for me and for, you know for even if you're at a show jumping off a stage if that's what you know keeps you from beating up your coworker then you know let it out that that's way. right get it out of your system yep and I was just talking to this this. I have this friend that's like 20 years old and she is just getting the hardcore scene. And like, she drove down to South Carolina to see some band. I can't remember what they're called, but she posted a picture on and she got her nose broken. She probably the, loved it, right? Yeah, she yeah. did. She was like, and up until recently, I was passage. scared of, of going in there. And I remember that feeling too, even at the metal shows at the Coliseum, like I, at the first time I went, I tried to be on the floor right in front of uh, the stage and when people started getting excited, I got scared, like, because I couldn't keep my footing and all this shit, and I was getting pushed around. So, I went up and sat in the stands. Yeah. And then, at like around 19 or 20, I started going to shows at the at Rockets in the Metro, and just said, okay, I'm I'm getting in there, you yeah. know. And you kind of realize nobody's really trying to hurt you. No. But you got to go with that, not being in control of your own footing, and like move with it. And it's almost like a, a riptide, like let yeah. let it take you with you, you know, if you're if you're in the in the water, and it. It's funny, like concerts, like you know, when you're a kid going to a big show like that. You remember the kids that would start the mosh pit in the back, like right. the little one. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> it's like that's that's where some people start. But I mean, if you're gonna go down front, you could be minding your own business and someone's gonna knock you in the head. It's mm-hmm. just this comes with the territory. It's part right. of the fun. Yeah, it is. And and really, to, in order to not get hurt in it, you gotta relax. If you're trying to stand there on the edge with your knees locked and shit, that's you probably when you get, get hit fucked from up. there. Yeah. yeah. I, I went to see uh, Metallica on the Injustice for All tour at the uh, Norfolk Scope, and they had a pit going, but it was just a circle thing, like fucking Indians going yeah. around, oh, around yeah. a campfire. And it was humongous. Like, yeah. The whole floor was going around in circles like that. And that kind of maelstrom is cool, you know, just good. But exactly. uh, so what is – so you play bass, and what is your role in Municipal Waste? I'm, I'm the guitar player in Municipal yeah. Waste. Oh, you are? Okay. Yeah, I grew up as a bass player, and Municipal Waste the only band I ever played guitar in. Probably the only band I ever will play guitar mm-hmm. in. That's an exclusive. I'm right. going to tell you that. Because <laughs> I always felt like a bass player playing guitar because that's exactly what I am. Yeah. And, um, yeah, I guess it was harder to start a band as a bass player. You know, I was mm-hmm. always – I joined Fleshy and Creeps. The you know, the first band I started as a bass player was Vulture, and that's more on the heavy metal side of mm-hmm. things. And um, I enjoy playing bass, guitar, just something that I was like, I better just go for it. And just, who knows, it, it turned into the biggest thing I've done yet. Mm-hmm. And I'm left-handed, too, so I was kind of restricted in uh, in finding a cool, like, metal guitar. So mm-hmm. I actually mm-hmm. had one made. I don't know if you've ever seen the MW Axe. Mm-mm. It's like a flying V, but the M is the V, and the, oh, the, the cool. headstock yeah. on the first one was the W. Now I've moved down to more of an A shape, so I think I'm just gonna 
go down the, the letters of waste and just have them hang on the wall, spell out waste with the headstocks. <laughs> you know, when I was uh, in high school and, and I met this guy and his his family has kind of been in a bunch of shit in Richmond. Like his dad used to own Bohannon's. Uh-huh. Uh, his brother, George Safi, was in um, a band in, in the old Richmond hardcore scene called Dennis's Problem. Oh, I, I'm aware of them. Yeah. yeah. He, he used to play the drummer like Pledge Allegiance and mm-hmm. all those bands, yeah. And they used waste as like when something fucked up happens to you. Like I'm going to waste you. Well, yeah. no, no. Or we would that, say like, oh, that too. Like if you got humiliated and you're telling a story about getting humiliated, you, we would just respond, waste. That's you know? nice. <laughs> Wow, so, or waste come, on you. It's come you know? full circle. It's been around. It's it sounds yeah, it sounds very uh, like a lot of movies, especially in the eighties, would be like you know we're gonna waste them, man. You know, <laughs> you don't hear people saying that now, but yeah, it's 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 cool. I just saw a trash truck riding down the road. I was heading to a show in D.C. and it said municipal waste is a very dingy situation. I was like, man, that's a great band name. It's I a, just kind of yeah. sat on it for a while. It's a clever name. I like. Uh, I always liked that you guys. There's an intelligence any. Uh, just a humor. Like, you got to be you know, clever. You yeah. know, we're singing about some really morbid stuff, but mm-hmm. everyone like smiles when they read mm-hmm. it for some reason. <laughs> if your parents read it, you know, they're going to be worried, hopefully, because that's that's the whole goal. Of, you know, keeping, right, right. Keeping it edgy, man. Right. Make right. sure the parents don't like it. I, I saw one a show you guys used to have, like one of those vaulting uh, things that people used to get on a um, like a springboard. Yeah. And yeah. Then people would take a boogie board off the spring. Man, <laughs> yeah, a lot of whatever people brought to the show they were jumping off of you know we can't take credit for all that the crowd would really bring a lot to it you know and it's you hate to turn into like a gimmick band where you just expect those things every night like Mm -hmm. we used to do a beer bong we Uh we even had the guar guys help make uh what we call the inebriator after one of our songs (laughs) it was this humongous disgusting thing that we never cleaned out we'd give to the fans to drink at first it was me doing it every night Mm -hmm. so i had to do a beer bong you know at a certain point every night, I was like, man, we should just start giving this to one of the kids out there. Usually it would be at someone underage, too, and mm-hmm. that was the, that was fun for them. <laughs> That's problematic. We started yeah. trying to check IDs, but you know, our songs were too fast to figure that out. <laughs> I got your um, card right here, and it's been sitting on my desk for a while for living, living Fast. Um, what is Living Fast? That's kind of my rendition of what you're doing. Mm-hmm. Um, I wanted to originally start it as a podcast, but... I decided to do a video cast, so it's mm-hmm. um it's video on YouTube. You can check out. Should I plug it now, or we can plug it we'll later? We'll just talk about We're it. We're talking about it. All yeah. right. Yeah, it's um it's a heavy metal talk show. I wanted to do kind of in a late night format, but you know a little more unorthodox. I I only interview people that are older than 50 mm-hmm. in uh, in heavy metal, and I, so far I've got John Gallagher from Ravens on the first one, Mantis and Tony Dolan of Venom. I did Michael Denner of Merciful Fate, and I did the Razor guys from Canada. And, yeah, it's just it's just talking about my love of heavy metal records. I, I do a little bit of comedy stuff in there, sometimes unintentionally, mm-hmm. and there's a little bit of animation. And uh, it's kind of like based on those – you remember those old hard and heavy videos mm-hmm. from the 80s, those old metal videos? I just – I really – I think there was like something's missing now and i wanted to fill that i remember void. shows like night flight and shit like that besides yeah. and headbangers ball of course and yeah, yeah just you know it's something it's really it's for me and for like a, a cult group of people that are that are into like more obscure heavy metal and it's just it's really it takes a lot for me to put together i've actually have enough for another episode that's i've just been sitting on but it's one of those things it's a labor of love um mm-hmm. i'm trying to taken into the form of radio which I've, I've been doing for this uh, company dash radio out of mm-hmm. la and i 
I want to make a movie. I want to do a lot of things with it. So it's really just going to be my production company yeah. called Living Fast. You can go to living-fast.com. Check out all the episodes. And what's the format? I mean, do you like uh, you have a desk or like a I, set or I, something like that? I've converted my record room, which I call the media room, into the like the late night set, which is just it's just my house. I moved my desk in there, and then that's how I did the first episode. The second episode, I went to Europe with uh, Vulture, my my heavy metal band. And I just kind of did on the spot interviews with a lot of the old new wave of British heavy metal guys, mm-hmm. and just going around and kind of kind of winged the the next few episodes i want to get back to that original format where it's like a sit down i don't write out questions i just interview people that i you know i really am been longtime fans of and you know just kind of relate as another musician not you as, ever like, get them journalist. to play like when they're on there yeah i mean like john gallagher like was like come i don't know if you saw the first episode i haven't you, watched any of them yet oh, you gotta watch it yet shithead i don't want to i don't wanted wanna, to do some research i don't want to uh <laughs> give anything away yeah. yeah i'm not against uh it's a free for all, man. So the next, they're never going to be the same. I kind of do stuff on location. If more people came through Richmond, I'd, I'd have a lot more guests, but I tend to do more of the interviews when I'm on tour, just cause I'll, I'll run into bands like right. festivals and stuff. And I, it's just really about spreading the word about heavy metal. I think mm-hmm. people have a, a warped sense of what heavy metal is. It's not, it's not triggers and not like what you're going to find at the mall. We'll I mean, break it down. What is it to you? It's, it's about, it's timeless, man. Mm-hmm. Heavy metal is it's, it's raw energy. You know, heavy metal has turned more DIY than punk these days. Mm-hmm. I think it's, it's kind of reversed around mm-hmm. and it's gone to the underground and I, it's finally starting to come to the U S like I go to Europe and see these festivals, all these killer bands are coming back and I just want to, kind of spread it to the people here you know and get people but like if you had to describe it as a genre like if you had to go there and do that like what distinct like heavy metal straight up like what is that as opposed to speed metal thrash metal black metal all that sh- you know all I, of the hyphens I, I hate all these sub genres <laughs> man it's you know it, it's a whole nother color excuse me it's a whole nother conversation really Why not? it's this conversation yeah <laughs> To me, I think it should be raw. It's, it's stripped down. Like I, I like heavy metal with like punk production, right? You know, right. Like the late '70s when it wasn't like they're not on a grid. Right. You can't hear the do, 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 right. kick drum. Kick it doesn't have that sheen. It of should like be all live. The yeah. Bob Rock and, 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 and Mutt Lang and all those guys. And for me, uh, clean vocals are important. Mm-hmm. I like audible clean vocals. I don't like screaming. Right. Like Cookie just, Monster. Yeah, buried. I, I'm I'm just not a fan of that stuff. You know and and some people think, oh, it's like sissy music or it's mm-hmm. glam rock, but it's like there's a fine line, you know. Mm-hmm. You know, you can be powerful and, and have clean vocals, and I I prefer that. So for for me, the like heavy metal when I and I'm not into the stuff that's around now probably, like, but it was like Rat and Doc and and see that's Judas what I, Priest and see if you just threw three bands if yeah. you threw if you throw you can't really throw a priest in with those bands right well they I, they did go there though like they I think they, around '86 everyone tried to go there. yeah and that was a problem you know because and it it caused another divide within the metal scene because mm-hmm. no one wanted to see like these these bands were getting video time on MTV and then the labels were like okay everyone's got to do that and that, right. that's what happened to a lot of the the good heavy metal bands even these old british bands that I talk about like these old new wave of british heavy metal bands the A&R guys are like you need to add keyboards you need right. to, you need to wear makeup tease your and hair tease up. your hair out right. and it got less about the music and more about the image because everyone was on video now and it it kind of ruined it you know so, so Motley Crue heavy metal or no I do dig the first couple records right. and me being 35 years old I get to come a little bit 
not as biased when mm-hmm. it was when it, say my favorite band was changing right there. Right. I got to see it from a little bit after the fact. So I think I, I had this conversation with a lot of older people, people in their you know their forties and up. Right, because I'm forty five. So you're you're right at that age where like basically like yeah fuck these bands you mm-hmm. know where where I you know I come in I got into music you know as early. No, as I was I was fifteen listening to Shout at the Devil like. And that's around. a great record, yeah. and the, the first record's great, you know. Or fourteen. Actually. Yeah, and um, <laughs> but like a lot of people, it's like Slayer, you know, they took it to the extreme, and you're like you're either on that side or you're a glam rocker. If you're on Sunset Strip, you know you're. You know, you're probably not getting laid if you're listening right, to Slayer, you right. know, because all these the crew guys are taking all the chicks. So right, right. It's a tough call, I think, as a metalhead at that well, point. Would you agree? Okay, so what happened for me was like I had a buddy who played guitar, and that was Jason Soff. He was George's cousin, and he he brought me over to his house, and he was listening to the Scorpions like Blackout and Love It First Thing, and he could play along all that Matthias Job stuff. Wow. And not 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 all the solos, but he was like, yeah, you know, had a lot of it, and he could play some a lot of Eddie Van Halen stuff and whatever. So. I got into listening to that shit with him, mm-hmm. but when Metallica came along and I heard Kill 'Em All and and Ride the Lightning, I was like, okay, this is really where I want to be going. But oh. before I heard that shit, like Scorpions and and they're older than uh, Molly Crew and of course shit, Scorpions but, yeah. for me, I'd even go back to the 70s with the Uli John Roth era yeah. is is my favorite stuff. I still follow them through the 80s. Mm-hmm. Their melodic rock stuff I like, but I think they stood the test of time. They're mm-hmm. one of those bands that they never. Uh, they never went glam. They're too ugly to go glam. Right, anyway. right. And they're just gnarly Germans. Right, balding. And it, dudes. Yeah, and, and, <laughs> but with talent and and mm-hmm. longevity, and that's why uh, Priest is my favorite band. Scorpions is a close second, mm-hmm. and, you mm-hmm. know, for the test of time. Um, yeah. So a lot of people switched over when when bands sped it up, like Metallica. Yeah. And I, you know, I probably would have done the same thing if I was that age, if I was ten years older. Well, there's another thing that happened too. Like, <clears throat> so. When I, as 14, 15 year old, I'm listening to Molly Crew and Scorpions and uh, Dokken and Rat and all that kind of shit. I, that at that time that didn't look glam to to us. It looked like tough, right? Because I was going to prep school, uh-huh. so so anything was know, tougher than that, right? <laughs> you know, and so. And I wasn't overly concerned with the image part of it. I just really liked the music, See, you know. You're one of and, the good ones, right? And um. So where, where, where am I trying to go with it? Okay. But that was just something that I was into with my dude friends, like my buddy Jason and a couple of others. One of us had a Jeep, and it was loud as shit, and we'd go around like playing like Wanted Man by Rat, loud as fuck, and yeah. bother people. And it was just our thing. We our denim jackets and no patches, nothing crazy, but we were, you know, we were more like on uh, over the edge or whatever Street kind metal. of kids. Yeah. But Guns N' Roses and Bon Jovi come along, and girls, like hot girls start coming to the so-called metal shows. they can share the same makeup tips. Exactly. They, they basically look the same. They had the same, you know, look yeah. like Axl Rose does and Welcome to the Jungle and <laughs> yeah. all that. And it really changed that, that world a lot, you know, because you could actually pick up a girl at that show. It might be a dude, though, if you don't watch out. <laughs> That's true. But, I mean, that... I, and my perspective at that time was not that that stuff was glam, but you, you look back on it after knowing that the New York Dolls existed... That that shit is way closer to the New York Dolls than it is the Priest. Yeah, you and know? that's the it's much more rock glam. and roll. Yeah, yeah, like they're going after um, Slade and T Rex. And, and those are great bands. And, yeah. and the, back then that's just that was hard rock. It's right, hard rock. right. And it all is rock and roll, man. It really boils exactly. down to it, you know. Yeah. And uh, I think it's the problem is when um, money and the suits get involved. And they go, oh, this worked for this band. Right. Let's clone this band. Right. A hundredfold and make some money. And that's, right. you know, that's why everything fails like that. Well, true. And, and so since 
hardcore the hardcore scene was really what started the DIY thing, right? Like it was really Minor Threat and Discord that sort of made that a thing. Like we're gonna make our own like, records, we're gonna do everything. Yeah, like put, to put a label on it. Yeah. Like at least that's what all the journalism and the and the books say. I think people <laughs> like, have been doing things themselves for a long time. Right. But people were so I mean to get resentful about what a label is or isn't doing is because you were so dependent on a label to do all that shit for you. And if you weren't willing to do that shit for you, you you went to a label and you thought it was a great deal, but you're selling you're selling everything you're doing to these guys to have them make your record, produce it, you know, pay to have it recorded, have it a distributed, pressed, all that kind of shit, advertised, tour, all of that stuff. If you're if you're asking somebody else to do all of that for you, then you really can't quibble with what they decide is they're gonna they want to make money off of. But you do it yourself, which is where we're at now, is like labels ain't shit anymore. So everybody can do it themselves, right? There are still people that think they need a label, and, right. and that's you know just being ignorant. And mm-hmm. a lot of people go into it like back in the day were young, and they would just sign something, and now they don't have publishing to their right. songs, you know. Right, right. You know, I always tell people to you know get so, if you don't understand it, get someone that does, you know, mm-hmm. whether it be a lawyer or someone that's succeeded in music. And um, yeah, Waste luckily you know kept our publishing early on. Mm-hmm. So you guys were smart enough to know that you didn't want to. That's really what's meant by selling out is that you fucking give up everything just to have somebody do all that, all that work for you. Yeah. And it's, you know, it's less work than you think, you know, and with this day and age, it's a double edged sword. I mean, you can get famous for doing no work, putting Mm -hmm. one video on YouTube now. Right. It's kind of a shame because, you know, we toured to get where we are, Mm -hmm. you know, it's, it's about, you know, hitting the road for me. I think it's still, that's what's important. That is, and I agree with you there. I think, and maybe this was a popular stance for me, but like I came out of when I started doing this podcast, I had been driving a forklift and working in a warehouse. And when I was hearing musicians complain about not being able to make the kind of money they used to be able to make on one song, selling that song over and over again, I was like, what's the, you know, why? That was a relatively brief period of time where you were able to do that. Musicians have always had to, tour and play their shows and like get paid the one time they play their music every time you know i don't give a fuck david lowry and this like spotify plays and all of that i mean what is your stance on that whole thing yeah you got to work for it man Mm -hmm. i mean that's basically what i was saying before and and there's it's also it could it could get troublesome too if you're relying on music to make money like it's Mm -hmm. hard to force creativity you know when the way started making money it's like okay we got to keep this up you mm-hmm. know you got to keep it for the love i think mm-hmm. you know so go get a job and keep music fun that's what i say so what is the waste family tree right now of other like in like the members wise yeah, yeah what are all the other bands that are have sprung out of that because they're I mean, how long you want to be here? Because we got Dave Whitty in the band. And he's knock been it, in like knock, 69 bands. Well, f- since Waste, what's like... Well, since Waste, um, well, I did a band called Immortal Avenger, which was more oh, heavy yeah. metal. And that's kind of spawned into some of the same guys with Vulture. I do a band called Bat with uh, Nick and Felix from DRI. Tony and Phil are doing Iron Reagan. And Dave's doing a band called uh, Glorious Gone. He's in, he's in like three bands. I keep changing the name. He's doing. <laughs> the, I mean, you can look on the internet for this. I mean, go to go to <laughs> right. metal archives. But I don't like doing research. Yeah, obviously. Yeah. <laughs> Define. You need some more water. Man, want to take a. Well, yeah. You want to take a five? I can pause. With let's you. do it. Yeah. Yeah, let's take five. All right. 
Okay, we're back from water break. So while we were having the water break, you mentioned that you wanted to... What was the house you were living in when you got here? Well, um, let's see. Well, I came up here... I came up here in 98 and then um, dropped out of college quickly. <laughs> just kind of escaped, you know. It, it was uh, just trying to find myself. I got, you know, I got into the band, uh, the Flesh Eating Creeps, and I got to go on tour. Saw like half of the country and kind of just like, this is what I want to do. Mm-hmm. But in the meantime, I was living at this kind of a like a punk house at the time. And um, there was a garage space out back. And so I started doing shows out back. Mm-hmm. <coughs> And it was, uh, I don't know, I don't really know where to begin because... Um, well, let's begin. With, first, I want to back up to... Yeah. You came up here to go to school for social work and sociology? Yeah. What was that about? Why were you interested in that? Well, I wanted to help people, mm-hmm. and then I gave up on people real, real quick. <laughs> <laughs> well, I wanted to be social, and you know, I was like, I really wanted to play music. I wanted to get out of Virginia Beach. I was 18. I couldn't wait to get out of town. You know, college was always something that... I thought I wanted to do, but I got up here and it just felt like high school, all the yeah. man, all the mandatory stuff, and I just started fucking off and drinking and partying and hanging out with right. girls and just not going to class, you know. And so I was social like, work, I'm, you were just thinking social. I, I wanted to do some type of therapy thing because I, right. I I was put into at a young age like comprehensive substance abuse programs. I was mm-hmm. always getting in trouble. I sold drugs. I was you know did everything under the sun when I was young. Mm-hmm. So I was like maybe I can turn that around and help people you know, through some of my experience that I've been through. And, you know, I've kind of had a struggle with addiction stuff and a lot of all, basically all my friends too. Right. Where did that start with you? Just, well, just like anybody, you know, just wanting to get high, you know? Right, right. And uh, I don't know if we're going to go into this kind of talk. Well, fuck, why not? (laughs) This is all connects to everything. So we got to get a little thread and just help, you know, put it... I wanted to party, man. Right. No, and and I sure enough got into it really young and um, started selling drugs. But seriously, was it like okay, everybody wants to party, but that was like that was me being coy. Right. right. Okay. So, <laughs> um, w- I mean, was there a home life thing or like a, I mean, like did you not like being you and like being how you felt and that's you wanted to change that, get the fuck out of you that? Know, or, you're, you know, you're you're fourteen, you're thirteen, fourteen years old. You don't know what you want. Right. You know, and I, I was I was into music, but I was also running with a bunch of people that were way advanced in doing drugs and probably had a worse home life than me. Right. We'd be doing we'd be smoking weed and doing coke with their parents and mm-hmm. stuff like because, mm-hmm. you know, you're a kid and you got to you got to get high somewhere. And these right. people were basically with their families were just dysfunctional. Right. And, and I would just kind of I for some reason gravitated to that. It's not like uh I, my home life was different, and I just couldn't wait to get away from it. Right. You know? Was it your home life like hard, or was it just like boring? I mean, or like oppressive or abusive? Or it was. I, I would say more oppressive. You know, I, I just don't think my parents knew how to handle the kind of what I was into. They weren't right. ready for it. You know, and I, I just, I just got. You know, I had to get out of there. I got in trouble a lot, but um, I was just searching for something. You know, and it. You know, I did a lot of acid and did a lot of mm-hmm. like just you know the normal shit you know growing up smoking weed doing acid leading to i mean it's normal for some it wasn't normal for for my family let's right, put it that right. way so they just couldn't handle it so i just wanted to escape you know and yeah. um you want to go somewhere where people understood what you wanted to do and they'd let like you cheers, do it and wherever, they'd help yeah, you wanted, do it so everyone knew my name right right happened to be mm-hmm. like under a pier on the beach you know <laughs> drinking mm-hmm. you know a case of beer and doing whatever well like, let's see if i like my parents raised me just solid you know 
and they, uh, and they told me perfect. not well they told me not to do a bunch of shit right and they said to do these things and don't do these things but i grew up in this neighborhood in the 70s and there were lots of other kids around who were doing their parents didn't give a shit what they did you know and you could and there was lots of other pockets of shit to get into and when so the time i started listening to metal and all that stuff i found a friend whose parents let him drink in the house and you know like you know they smoked weed and they were in all that stuff so yeah, I was like, oh, my parents thing. are just uptight, yeah. right? And, like, they're not letting me be free. And that is the message of metal at that point is, like, you know, we're not going to take it. You know, like the Twisted yeah. Sister thing. Like, you can, you know, your parents are, like, drill sergeants and whatever. Yeah, it's just a classic case of wanting to be rebellious. Right. Know, bottom line. So, yeah, that carried over into moving up to Richmond because I, I escaped from all that. And, you know, I ended up getting my own place. With but wait, wait, I don't want to flash forward through this. Like you, so you had problems with drugs in Virginia Beach. You were getting in trouble, right? Yeah, I got arrested a few times. But when you get arrested when you're underage, they just put you in a drug program. Right. So you, we had to do piss tests, and you know, and I would just, you know, was there counseling? Yeah, was, you just met more people to, to get drugs from, right. and other, the other kids. But that gave you a, some kind of a desire to do social so work. So yeah, I was trying to, I was basically trying to turn that around. I had like a, a like a epiphany around 17, 18 years old. I was like, yeah, I'm gonna turn it around a little okay. bit. I think I go through this all the time. It's like, man, I'm gonna quit drinking, and mm-hmm. I do it for a little while, and I go back. But uh, it's one of those things. It's like, you know, I'll clean up my act a little bit and go to go to college. You know, it might have been an excuse just to get. I, I might have been lying to myself, mm-hmm. just trying to get out of town. Like, this is what I. I don't think so. Hey, I think maybe, maybe a, I had a good maybe I had a good head on my shoulders, and I wanted to do something. Yeah, but, I think you still got. Is the thread of a thing that you haven't figured out how to reconcile with all the other shit you dig? So you think it's one thing or the other. At this point, yeah, but you're you're gonna find how it. And at this goes point, together. I'm 18. Yeah. Bottom line, I knew I wanted to play music, and that's what ended up happening when I came up here, and that was my destiny. I knew that was what it was. College was secondary. I, I only lasted like a semester and a half. Mm-hmm. I mean, it, I was I was out of there. You know, I did not really. It wasn't for me. But how did get playing music? What was your first instrument? Bass guitar. Bass guitar. Yeah. So how did that happen? Like somebody leave one at your house did you get invited to no nah, well this this is kind of funny how it happened my, my friends were in like a like a death metal heavy metal band like in the, the late 80s and mm-hmm. i was coming up and i would sit there and watch them play and they were like very proficient like right. technically and you know this is when all the early 90s early death metal was coming out and they could play all this stuff right you know and they would throw in like slayer sepultura metallica songs and stuff like that too so i was just sitting and watching them and i was just like in awe and they needed a bass player like their, their bass player fucked off i was like hey it's me i'll do it i'll go buy a bass and they go yeah go ahead and buy a bass and learn the orion the bass part to orion yeah and then learn steve DiGiorgio's parts from the band death and i was like great i'll go do that like naive <laughs> like those are like some of the hardest things to play yeah. on the bass but I, I strove to like learn those and I, I got a bass. I, I tried to get lessons, but that didn't work. And I just kind of just hammered away on my, on my own, maybe do like what, one or two bass lessons. And I was just like, this is scales. This is annoying. I'm not doing this. So I just sat in my room and played bass. And, um, you know, I was, I was in such you know trouble with my parents. They like took everything away from me. They mm-hmm. keep finding weed in my room and, mm-hmm. you know, acid one time. And I, I was just like, they left everything but my. They took everything but my bass. So I was just sitting there. That's all I had was my bass in my room. Uh-huh. I got a real crazy story. I'm gonna. I told this to High Times one time, but this it's good for your podcast. So I was in such war with my parents that they they tapped the phones in my house of my <laughs> of my home, right? Because they knew I was selling drugs out of the house. So they tapped the phones, 
and um I caught wind of it and I started using my dad's business line. So they mm. tapped that. They just switched the tap over. They, <laughs> they had me locked down. So they tapped the phones. I'm, I'm selling acid. I'm selling weed in school. I'm going into school selling this shit. Mm-hmm. You know, I'm surprised I never got caught doing that. I get caught by my parents all day, but right. You know, so <laughs> they tapped the phones. I find out, I was like, well, at least, you know, play me the conversations or something. You know, this is like back in, you know, 93 or something. <laughs> It, it was like surreal back then. Fast forward to, let's say, maybe seven years ago. I got a much better relationship with my family now. Mm. I was like, Dad, whatever happened to those tap phone calls? And he's like, well, as a matter of fact, he opens up a drawer. He has the tapes. Oh, shit. He gives me the tapes of these calls. Not only is it my phone conversations from the early 90s it's my whole family i got my mom talking on the phone she's a teacher she's like well you know laser discs are gonna be the next biggest thing everything's <laughs> moving to laser discs and my brother like british college professor calling him my dad talking to his friends and it's me talking to girls trying to get them to come home with me like after school it's me like a 13 14 year old kid like hitting on girls trying to get a ride to a party it is like the weirdest thing to go back and listen to. I'm I'm saying to my friend, I'm like, come pick me up, man. He's like, he's like, well, I need like a dollar for gas. I was like, dude, I just borrowed six bucks from my mom yesterday. I got two beers in my room stashed, like that kind of shit. And it's like, you're listening to it. You don't know what's coming next, especially me, like talking to a girl, like, when are you going to come in the, you know, in the woods with me after school? It is insane. I had, I listened to it with my girlfriend at the time, like about, seven years ago and I was like I don't know what's coming next you know Mm -hmm. and you feel like you're back in that time but uh, on top of that so my dad gives me these tapes back he's like well if I'm gonna give you these tapes I might as well give you this he brings a bag of weed labeled September 93 an eighth of Virginia Beach swag weed holy shit gives it to me there's little bowls little tinfoil bowls I've made everything they confiscated yeah they confiscate and he gives it back to me this is like eight years ago it was mind blowing. So I took it and you know, I'd have friends come to town. It's like, Hey, you want to smoke some vintage nugs, man? Like, <laughs> it was, I, it's I, like smoking dirt. Yeah, and I'm it just, sure. you know, it gives you a nice headache. Doesn't yeah. smell like anything, but I mean, that's how my parents were. They just didn't know how to handle me. Right. But now it's funny as shit yeah. to me. And like, it, I, I told that to high times, you know, so, Hey dad, you know, you're famous now for keeping the You vintage. should take those, uh, um, those tapes and cause I've seen people animate them. You know, and like, like uh, it would be a bestseller. I mean, it's like I don't know if I want to put it out there. I might take snippets. You could work of it. it into Living Fast, though. It like, is in. It, it would be a good podcast. Sketch it's insane. Find somebody to animate it, and like you could just have these little shorts. It's like, man, that'd be fucking awesome. I, I might, yeah, quit my day job. So do you get any insight into yourself? Like, okay, so you were about to tell me about when you you moved here, you dropped out of college, and and like you alluded to coming up the steps. It was kind of a tough time period. But, yeah, well, I, I was like, it's just, it's always the people I surround myself with. Mm-hmm. I don't know why, like when I was younger, I, I would just, you know, down and out kids that wanted to do drugs, sell drugs. But I mean, even I kind of took that with me still into my late teens up here. And that was more, I guess, people from like the punk rock community and got involved with a lot of people who were squatters and traveling mm-hmm. kids. And we had this house, I did shows, so people started to know the house as a place you know, you could come and party. What house was it? It was 1231 Cary, and uh-huh. the the space is bulldozed down. It's a parking lot now. Um, but, yeah, I had this great Brickton area. I was like, this is perfect for shows. So 
I was like, you know, set up back there. And you could, the only thing you can really hurt there is yourself. It's mm-hmm. just broken bottles and brick walls. I had a house on the other side of the block, 1246 Parkwood. Yeah, okay. Yeah. Mm-hmm. All right. Yeah. Same scene. Yeah. <laughs> and so this is, this is like 1999. And yeah, so I had one roommate that, uh, decided to tell a bunch of squatters that this was like a spot you could come to. Uh-huh. Um, this is a cool place in Richmond you can come to, you know, I'm paying rent here, but it seemed like just, I was living in like squalor mm-hmm. and the first group of people came through were pretty cool and we accepted them. And it's like, Oh yeah, we'll go. You know, I just dropped out of college. Now I'm like sparing change across the street, at the same Seven Eleven, mm-hmm. eating dumpster pizza, just living like these people, <laughs> you know, and I, I probably had a few hundred bucks to my name, but you know, I was still like, well, I could spare a change for, uh, you know, an hour and get mm-hmm. beer money and then eat mm-hmm. out of the dumpster. And that's like what I was like learning. That's like what mm-hmm. I'm, this is what I'm into. Now right. I think about that. What the fuck am I doing? You Were know? you into that? Like as a, um, was there a, like a political, not, not a political thing, but like, you know, some kind of a, um, a philosophy to it? Or was it just like, I don't want to work and I don't want to have it. You know, I don't want to do what people have to do to get money. <laughs> you see someone and like, they get money that easily. Like, Oh, I can do that. Mm-hmm. A little like I, I pretend I was homeless and I live right down the street and we just get money for beer and just, you know, get fucked up. Mm-hmm. But then the people started getting worse and worse that were coming through. I was living with three girls. So I was like the only one that could really enforce anything. And I'm like 19 at the time, 20 years old. And I'm like physically removing these people. And then I feel like they kind of kind of took over the house, man. Like, yeah. I'm like, I, it's too much for me to take. You know, I just would lock my room do the shows and then the house just kind of got overtaken mm-hmm. by travelers and stuff. And like, I had a, got a few fights with people and it just became pretty overwhelming. And, um, people started doing drugs in the house. This girl tried to hang herself from the balcony. Um, my roommate tried to set the place on fire. He tried to kill me one time. Like, I don't know if I can wrap all this into one, but like the house became, it was a positive thing for the shows, but it came negative real fast. Right. And it was just like full of trash and, anyone was just showing up i was hanging out with like street people and like you know they'd break into my room and steal money out of my room and mm-hmm, shit like that mm-hmm. it's just you know did you keep your room locked yeah i did and like yeah. the, the door was broken down one day you know and i i, I kind of lost track of who was coming and going out of my house and it was just got pretty overwhelming and we got evicted and i went <laughs> i went like on top of this like my roommate was he's dead now um he died of a heroin overdose but he was a really uh, great artist he he did the one of the first municipal waste t-shirts and the first uh thing that's in the seven inch it's like this art so i was like man you could really draw i was like paint all over my walls you know paint like demons on my walls mm-hmm. and we just we took sharpie red sharpie we painted all this demonic stuff in my room so we get evicted out of the house they want us to paint over everything so we paint over um the walls and like i don't know if you know about like like sharpie or marker but it starts right. to seep back through the walls mm-hmm. And they were going to show the house and these demons start coming through the walls. Like you see the red coming through and, and I was walking, they were showing the house and I just kind of walked up. I knew they were showing the house. I walked behind people. I was like, you know, this house is haunted. Right? I was telling people that, but even before that, what I was getting at, I went to make sure everything was cool with the house. Some of these kids who were squatting down the street had broken back in the house and were squatting my house after we moved out. There was this girl's pet rats, syringes, all this stuff sitting in my room. The landlord's on his way. I'm like running in there trying to clean the place up and like grabbing a, like almost grabbed a needle, almost stuck myself with a needle. And these like rats running around my room. And like 
<laughs> and on top of it, like all this like demonic imagery starts like seeping through. Like the kills paint wouldn't even cover it up. Uh-huh. So I'm like, you got to be kidding me, man. This is like this house might be haunted, haunted by fucking punks. It is, yeah. It's <laughs> haunted by punks. That is a new song title. That is a yeah. You got to hold on to that. that I uh I lived in a house like that, but I didn't let it get totally out of control. But like it was like 400. It was on Parkwood and it uh-huh. same block and um. I, I locked my bedroom door That's, so that nobody could to, get in there and padlocked I, it. But you know. Not to cut you off, but the one thing I really lost from that is trust for people. Like I right. don't trust anyone yeah. anymore. L- living in that situation, and it's good. I mean, I, I just lock my shit. I, I always on, I'm on top of my shit. From here well, that's on out. the thing. Okay, so it's I, I always liked that chaotic shit for long enough for a rock show. Right. Or to step into ABC No Rio or someplace like that. Yeah. And, 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 and I will say do another, it for a minute. Another good thing that came out of it. I did start municipal waste there. We right. started in that garage. So, I mean, on top of doing shows, which I was a terrible promoter, I, I probably paid the, the bands like twelve dollars and change. At right. Shows. I mean, at the time, it, you know, it was like you'd get a good gig, but I wasn't cut out to be a promoter. Right. I wanted to be in a band. I didn't want to be putting on the shows. But um, okay, waste, but, waste started there, and uh, that's you know it came from that house. So the part about though that I was relating to is you keeping your shit together, yeah. right? And like th- this, there's there's the mosh pit, right? But then mm-hmm. there's the people outside of that that are living like it's a mosh pit all the time. Like yeah. it's like no accountability, no responsibility, no. And there's a philosophy to it, like fuck this world, fuck this system, you know, all that shit. But you're dependent upon somebody that's get, got their shit together, even if it's just you. In order I couldn't to, agree more. You know? <laughs> yeah, like if you look at my house now, like coming from all these places, like I'm pretty OCD now and I really cherish my things and my records and you know, my guitars and stuff. And it's shit's pretty put away. Now mm-hmm. I, I lived like that long enough, man. It's like, I think being organized is the key to success. Yeah. I mean, you really like, I mean, t- you got all this like with, with metal and, and like a lot of the music's about your own, your power, you know, and what to do with your power and shit. But like in this world, you got to fucking take, you got to put some energy and some power into controlling your fucking environment and your shit and like taking care of business and like having yeah. a fucking job and whatever as cool as it might seem to be ultimately, you know, the, the, those traveler kids, I lived in the East village when they were, there was still a lot of them around there. I don't know if there are any more, but they're like living in Tompkins square park or hanging mm-hmm. out there. And, and there were squats all around me and like, at, um, down on lower East side. Yeah. Some of them, like one of the squats across the street, it was like they had that was like straight up like European squat style where they had taken well, it like over, legit, made a commune. There was legit right. squats right. there, yeah, and, right. and that's definitely not what but, I had. Right, but there were a lot of these Plus guys. Plus, I'm paying rent, and these fuckers are not. <laughs> right, there's but then there was a whole lot of people that were just basically just as fucked up as the the say the corporate people that take advantage of everybody because it's just a bunch of people taking advantage of people like taking shit, end, yeah. stealing shit. It's all about them. It's all about their buzz, about their fucking habit. You know, and like right. I'm trying to I love all that the music that comes out of that shit, but I'm trying to work a job and those motherfuckers are annoying my customers like in the restaurant there. And it's, you know, I mean, like, I don't mean to sound like oh, I put that shit behind me, but like at some point you recognize, like, if you don't take care of that shit, you're just as you're causing people problems. Yeah, I you agree. know, yeah, definitely. Yeah. So you got out of that that house, though, and, and like. Uh, yeah, just barely. Man. It almost got burned down. Like, I mean, my roommate was setting his room on fire 
yeah, it it just I felt like I couldn't control the situation mm-hmm. anymore, and I was almost I was glad we got evicted. So when you and I were in the kitchen down there, you're talking about like how I I'm sober and you'd like are always like looking to dial it back some, and there's maybe been a thread since the early days of yeah for that. It's one of those things. I think it's more about wanting to be more productive because I have taken breaks from drinking and I started writing a script. I was you know recording. I was I was doing I was doing more creative things, and I feel like just getting drunk every day. It's not really the day you're getting drunk. It's the day after you're just kind of just canceled out. You know? Right. You know, if you, and, and if you get like me and you, you start drinking and you end up doing like harder shit, like mm-hmm. you want to do Coke or something, you're done for like two days. After. Right. Plus you know, the money that you bought. And it's, yeah. And mm-hmm. it's just, you're throwing it away and, and being on tour and, and drinking every day for so long. I feel like I've done it, man. Yeah. You know, the thrill is almost gone. So I will take these breaks, and I think the hardest thing for me is just learning how to take it in moderation. Because mm-hmm. if I'm going, I usually go pretty right. full force. Right. And I think just my my motto now is just take as many breaks as I can. Mm-hmm. You know, don't beat yourself up about staying away from drinking. Because if you're worried so much about not drinking, it's still controlling you. Yeah. You know, and that's one good piece of advice, my friend. Well, that that's and that's been my experience, man. Is like. Um, not only is it the like recovery time and the shit that happens inadvertently because your fucking judgment is off, you know, because you don't get to selectively numb, you know, you're, no. you're numbing the whole fucking system. Like if you're a smart, sharp person, you're not a smart, sharp person when you're fucked up, no. you know? And you know, I, I, I knew I wanted to get that shit like, and you've been control. seven years, right? Yeah, I piss. I used to. Piss, I didn't like pissing people off and I didn't like wind up in the situation where I was broke or I was roaming the ghetto or looking for drugs but but more than what but every time i tried to just quit or moderate it was still like you said about the relationship with the substance you know and people what i got turned on to later was like it ain't about the fucking substance it's about something else with you that makes you want to do this shit and once i started going oh i'm putting all this energy in the wrong place yeah i want to put this energy this power this stuff i got into Doing this in a sustainable way, in a way that's going to get me somewhere. And that's probably why you, you know, you know being sober is probably why you have seventy some episodes of this podcast, man. I'd have more if I didn't have another job, but like, <laughs> yeah, well, that's life, man. yeah. But which is the other thing I realized when I was doing the podcast exclusively, I quit my job and I was just doing this. I was doing a lot of podcasts, but I was asking other people for money to support it. Yeah. And so I had to go get a job. It's good to have a gig on the side to to keep your, like I said earlier, to keep your creative thing strong, like your creative side. Um, yeah, I found that it, like, I'll take, you know, I've taken like five to seven weeks off. I, I've never been more productive in my life. I've right. written, I've written about it in, in my, my column for iron fist that I do. And it's, it's surprising. I'll have long conversations with my friends who, who have tried the same thing, taking breaks. It's like, Oh, I got this to do. I'm sober. I'll just do it right now. Instead right. of like, just think about it and not do it and put it off and lay in bed. You know, you're lethargic when you're drinking all the time. And you're alert and positive when you're well, there's not. A, there's it's the a, bottom line. The the problem is, for me, is boredom. You know. Yeah. And I want to go out and I want to go to a show, and that's you when it gets can hard. Do for, all of that shit I know I can't. And <laughs> we should be having an AA meeting uh, in the next episode. And, uh, <laughs> I'm not against it. Um, I just right now I'm drinking less than ever, and I do feel well, good. Well, let me tell you another thing, just from my experience. Okay, so you're talking. And you'll to somebody, see me drunk tomorrow. You're, probably. you're talking to somebody who likes metal yeah. is probably as much as you do. Maybe not as obsessively, but you know, I think the same way wrong with, there's, there's uh, help self-help groups for, right. for recovery yeah, exactly. metal heads, too, metal my friend. but, uh, 
all of that shit about like everything is more intense. Like all of, if you like intensity, it's way more intense <laughs> sober than oh, you know. Yeah. And um and the other thing I'll say real quick is back in in the when I lived in New York, I was a fully you know philosophically drunk like it was i believed it was a way of life that was important to my creativity and all this kind of shit and i had a girl i was hanging out with dating and she was friends with this guy glenn friedman who used to take all the pictures of the hardcore bands and skaters and shit he had a book called fuck you heroes you know he's kind of famous photographer and he was straight edge and vegan all right and and I was talking to him, and I was like, man, it's just I feel more badass when I'm drinking. He's like, you know, let me let me tell you something, man. That's the least badass thing you can do. Yeah. It's like you're basically giving yourself over to Budweiser. You're giving yourself over to Jim Beam, Jack Daniels. You're it makes you all weaker. Fucking, it definitely makes yeah. you weaker, I think. And one good therapeutic thing to do is watch yourself on video drunk. If you can look at yourself, you're like, you thought you were hot shit. You're not shit. Right, right. And you look mm-hmm. like shit probably, too. And there's plenty of drunk footage of myself out there. Just look on yeah. YouTube. I'm sure it's like, it's like, man, I'm not proud of that. But um, I like to have a good time, you know. And I, I, I think I'm gonna find the the happy medium, you know. And I, I've actually turned it, toned it down a little bit. The the daily intake. So taking well, breaks is cool, man. Maybe this would be a thing that pops to you, you like, because that's what it was for me. It wasn't about taking breaks. It was like I, I learned that as as long as I got that tension with taking a break, I'm gonna go back. To it and and yeah. I realized that I'd been trying to do something with booze and drugs that is actually be- able to be done better another way yeah and my life isn't any different except I'm making progress like I got money in the bank I got a career you know I'm, shit like I'm that. definitely proud of you and I you know I might get there one day you know I'm just I'll be around man I'm not beating myself up in the meantime no, no, that's no, what no, I've learned good. because I um I've had times where I'm like I'm done I'm completely yeah. done with it and and I felt great when I wasn't doing it but you know, I'm not trying to 12 step. Oh, no, no, no. I, just, I like you, it. Yeah. I, I wouldn't talk about it if I wasn't comfortable with uh, the whole theory of it. I think it's it's different for every person, you know. Yeah. And um, and I think I'll figure it out at some point. Yeah. Yeah. Well, you're doing a lot of shit for a person, you know, for anybody right now. You got a lot of shit. Going I on. yeah, I, I was always biting off more than I could chew. You know, I, I need to be doing the living fast thing more. I got people bugging me every day for the yeah. next episode. The footage is there. Hey, if I was sober, that would be done right now. So right. That's, that's one thing I will say. Hey, man, I won't lie to you. Like, I, I sit on these fucking episodes, and I'm like... So this will probably come so out next year. So should I watch Longmire, or should I go... Yeah. <laughs> no, I'm really trying to... Because certain people that I really care, like, respect have said, hey, when are you going to do another one of those? So I realize it is... There are people who want to listen to it, so I want to, you know, be more regular about it. And it does... It's awesome to just have these conversations, you know. Yeah, and I'm all bit. for this this type of media so uh, you know more power to that man so i think it'd be cool if you added a performance thing to living waste though, like living, uh, living fast. fast like living waste. i'm already <laughs> living wasted life man. <laughs> we just talked about it have some super like some bands play on that shit no there, there is like, man well know. first of all you need to watch it because you okay, will right, say there is stuff like that <laughs> there is stuff like that um yeah there's uh there's plenty more to come and um yeah, we could we could plug it away all you want, but it's I'll watch it. It's on the World Wide Web. Yeah, so I saw you checking your your timepiece, man. Are you feeling like you got? Good... I'm supposed to go up to Pittsburgh and surprise some people. Uh, my friends in uh, Cauldron and Enforcer are playing up there, and it's five hours away. So I might I might just hit the road right after this. All right. Well, you want to do it now? You, want, you feel like yeah? Should I take the mic with me and give you a play by play on the way? 
And you can take your own mic up there, <laughs> get you a Zoom recorder. I, I would like got, to hear I think we got it. some good stuff. Uh, hopefully, yeah. uh, you know, there was highs, there was lows. We laughed, we cried. Yeah, it's all, the whole human picture is in there, man. It was really cool talking to hey, you. Hey, likewise, I, man. I think we could go on about five different tangents if we want, so I'm going to try to well, get Well, I'm willing now. to do that, but you got to be somewhere. Uh, hey, you know what? We all got to be we somewhere. We can do this again. Maybe you can have me on... Um, Living fast, cause not, but I'm not over 50, and I'm not really in a... Well, in five years, we'll, we'll get you we'll on We'll talk there. about that. Okay. Definitely, man. Cool. All right. Thanks. Cheers. All right. That was Ryan Waste of Municipal Waste. Waste on you. In a good way. Oh, yeah. Waste on me. Because I can't. Man, you know, I was just listening to that damn Chris Dovey one. And I thought I got the damn level straight, and like I was listening to it in the car, and I could fucking hear him. So I apologize. I think Brian and me are pretty good levels. So you can hear us both well, but um, man, that microphone—just like if it ain't just in the perfect spot right in front of my face—pick up shit. But uh, I'm, I'm learning. It's only taking me 79 of these to get it worked out. Still working it out. Still doing it still going every now and then I really like doing this I love having the conversations that lead to it but god damn it's hard to schedule them and uh, um, all that stuff anybody want to volunteer help me out producing this podcast schedule people for me and twiddle the knobs and produce it and upload them and all of that good shit so I can just talk that'd be great come on over uh, I just I it isn't really that much work, and once I actually sit at my desk and turn it on, it's I'm fine, it's fun. But man, it's so much easier to go downstairs and watch Mr. Robot, or whatever else I'm binging on at any given time. But I know you guys are out there, you're waiting with bated breath until I post another podcast. I can't let you down. You're right. So those of you who do listen, hey, I, I'm grateful for you guys, I, I hope you enjoy it, and uh... There, we've got this nice archive, so you know, like one day somebody's gonna find Tantric Conversation, like at the bottom of the, the ocean. It'll be futuristic beings, you know, advanced artificial intelligence will discover this, and it'll be all they had to know about Richmond, Virginia, in the generic point in the mid 2000s. Poor fucking bastards. All right, y'all. Until next time, or as my man on Via Alegre used to say, Hasta la próxima!